Truth Espresso, episode 264. Hello friends, family, foes, and lurkers alike. This is your host for Truth Espresso, once again, Daniel Minnick. And in this episode, I am going to go solo. I'm going to explain a little bit of why there's yet another episode of me going solo. My wife and I have just been incredibly busy these last few weeks. And with the episodes that we record together, usually it involves us trying to throw some notes together. And we often record on a Saturday night after we get the kids to bed. And then being up really late on a Saturday night can make us pretty tired at church on Sunday morning. And so we're talking with each other, trying to figure out the best way to get episodes for Truth Spread. So without crunching together and being tired and staying up late at night and kind of cutting into some weekend enjoyment together. So we're just trying to figure out ways to get these episodes out and still enjoy some weekend time together. And so we'll probably have a few more episodes of me doing a solo podcast because there's not the time constraint as much to arrange having both of us freely available to record together. We're still going to do episodes together, but what we're going to try to do is figure out a way to work on notes for episodes we'll do together and have that ready so that maybe we can record episodes together at some point on a weekday, maybe in the middle of the week. And so when we plan to do those type of episodes, we'll be well prepared for it. And we won't lose our weekends and be exhausted for church. And so we're still planning to try to get those weekly episodes of Truth Espresso out with both of us being really busy. My wife, especially clinic activities really picking up lots of busyness during the week and on the weekends. And so I am still just as committed to making Truth Espresso a weekly podcast. I might even do some episodes a little shorter than usual just to cut down on research, note time, post-production, editing time, recording time, and so on like that. But bear with us. We are trying to make life work out for both of us as busy parents doing lots of ministry and me with a full-time job and my sweet wife taking care of a lot of people during the week and on weekends and us taking care of our children too. So with that out of the way, I'm going to do an episode talking about this crazy news of Hamas brutally attacking and slaughtering Israelis, Jews, and resulting in the current Israel-Hamas war. Now, one item in the news, uh, as of this recording, as of the release of this episode on Monday, Wednesday, so two days from this episode's release, the state of Ohio will have voters voting on an amendment to the state constitution to consider whether abortion up until birth should be enshrined into the state constitution. 
Now, a few months ago, Ohioans voted on whether amendments to the state constitution would require 60% of the vote or a simple majority, and that issue failed, and that whole issue turned out to be an issue over abortion because even a lot of -of out-of-state interests are trying to turn Ohio into a state where they can test their strategy of bringing in lots of dark money from the outside and push to get state constitutions amendment amended to enshrine abortion up until birth and they want to do it state by state in a post row world in a Dobbs world if it has to be state by state now then the pro-abortionists want to make sure that every state in the United States allows abortion up until birth and I'm sure they would love it if they can get abortions after birth so Please pray for the state of Ohio on Wednesday that the pro-abortionists will not win this battle to make the Ohio state constitution as pro-abortion as the state of Colorado. And now getting into the topic of this episode on the current Israel-Hamas conflict. So, a brief timeline about what was going on, what has happened so far. So, this all started in the news on Saturday, October 7th, 2023, around 6.30 a.m. Israel time. So, about midnight 30 a.m. Eastern time in the United States. So, this day, Saturday, October 7th, was also known as Simchat Torah, which is a joyous holiday to celebrate the end of the annual cycle of Torah readings before the next annual cycle starts. And of course, on a joyous holiday, that's when Hamas decides to attack, to cause terror, and interrupt singing and dancing and music with death and destruction. Over 3,000 rockets were fired at the Iron Dome, did intercept some of them, and then also uh, militant groups from Hamas organized a stealth and basically a blitzkrieg terrorism massacre on Israelis from the Gaza Strip. And a lot of this also happened on the Rei Music Festival. So the civilians enjoying the festivities and the music and dancing at this joyous holiday event were met with the fact that Hamas cut the electricity for the event and then they saw militants paragliding into the arena and also trucks of Hamas militants cut through the barrier from the Gaza Strip into Israel and started firing indiscriminately at civilians. So as uh, civilians desperately tried to escape, the trucks of Hamas followed them and shot at them. So you had plenty of people being shot in vehicles as they were attempting to flee and then shooting through windows and killing them. There's footage of a young woman by the name of Shani Nicole Luke who was murdered and then stripped to undergarments while the Hamas terrorists shouted, Allahu Akbar. About four hours after the attacks began, so about 10.30 a.m. Israel time, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu declared, We are at war. 
So from what we see from the vicious attacks, and there's just so much information out there to detail this, it's like drinking from a fire hose. And so, you know, as I was trying to research what I can get, I had to just pick some stuff. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really tragic to try to, to uh, think about this and talk about this. But what you could see from what Hamas did, Hamas has clearly intended to terrorize and kidnap and slaughter civilians to engage in psychological warfare. That's how Hamas intends to manipulate the situation. They know that people's hearts go out to civilians, and so callously they want to use civilians to negotiate with their enemies. And so after the attacks where they slaughtered civilians, they didn't target military bases or anything like that. They want to go for the jugular and the heartstrings by mercilessly slaughtering civilians and then threaten if people don't do what they want, that they'll kill more civilians. So after the bloody deeds that they did on this initial day, Hamas demanded a truce with Israel issuing no retaliation. So basically they came in, they brutally murdered people, and then after that, by the next day, they're saying, hey, we want peace, we want a truce. So as Israel was threatening to retaliate, they say, no, we want a truce. We're ready for peace. But of course, the idea is to take a step forward in their battle to terrorize and then demand that if you want peace, you have to just accept brutal slaughtering and then, without any kind of retaliation, just have some kind of truce. But of course, if you show your weakness in that, then all you're doing is waiting for the next day that Hamas tries to advance with yet more killing and demand a truce. So uh, I don't think a truce, according to what Hamas would demand, would in any way accomplish anything. Now, Sunday, the next day, October 8th, more rockets uh, were fired from Hamas, and Israel's security cabinet permitted a, a policy to cut off power and supplies to Gaza. Now, of course, Hamas then starts to complain into the media that the apartheid state of Israel was showing their true colors by harming Palestinian civilians in the Gaza Strip. Now, the point of what Israel was trying to do is to try to get civilians to get out of the Gaza Strip because they know that a lot of Hamas militants are there. And to retaliate, the Israel Defense Forces want to be able to punish Hamas, those who were involved in killing the Hamas militants, without harming the Palestinian civilians. But the way Hamas wants to do things is that they want to make sure that there's no possible way to fight a war between military and military and prevent civilian casualties because if Israel retaliates, they want as many civilians to be killed by the retaliation as possible so that they can complain about how brutal Israel is. Yeah, nice people these Hamas are. 
that their entire uh, strategy is to get innocent people who just want to live peacefully killed to achieve their ends of so-called liberation to try to reclaim land. Most people would think that if you have grievances, there's some way to work it out through negotiations or even through like some form of just war. It's hard to even say that there's such a thing as a just war from a protagonistic side. But, you know, you'd think that if someone is supposedly on the right side of things, that they wouldn't use civilians as shields or as pawns to put them in harm's way and to brutally slaughter civilians on the other side for religious causes. Now, Monday, October 9th, the Israeli Defense Forces, or IDF, began a strategic attack on Gaza, so they were searching for Hamas militants. Now, Israel did this by securing the border with tanks, so trying to keep anyone from getting in or getting out, after they issued the warning for civilians to leave, so they blockaded the borders and then aircraft blasted buildings. And then that same day, Hamas released a threat that they would kill one of the hostages that they have for every civilian target Israel hits in Gaza. Of course, as I said before, Hamas seems purposeful to make sure that civilians are shields and that Israel cannot retaliate without endangering Palestinian civilians, you know, to show how brutal Israel is on Palestinian innocence. Of course, it seems that the Israel officials and even the Israel citizens, for the most part, don't want to kill Palestinian civilians. They want those who were involved in preemptively killing civilians from the Hamas side to be punished. You know, if you take innocent life, you should be punished. And Israel's trying to make that possible to punish the Hamas militants without hurting Palestinian civilians. But Hamas doesn't want that to happen. They're waging psychological warfare They don't really seem to care about the lives of any individual person in the pursuit of their religious objectives. They don't even seem to care much about the lives of their own civilians because they're perfectly willing to put them in harm's way to get slaughtered just so they can complain that Israel is killing their civilians. Tuesday, October 10th, President Biden declared that the United States stands with Israel. Now, it seems like he could have said this earlier, but give credit where credit's due, I guess. He at least said that. He made an official statement for the United States to support Israel. But this was also after several far-left Democrat representatives, such as Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, had directed their ire at Israel, blaming them for the terrorist attacks happening because Israel is allegedly an apartheid state and they had taken over Palestinian territories in uh, 1967. So one would think... 
Why that day? How could Israel somehow be responsible for these terrorist attacks, this inhumane slaughter of civilian human beings? There are even some foreigners, some tourists there. As we have even learned as of this recording, as I've heard and read up to even 25 American citizens, United States citizens abroad there have been killed and there's, there's other hostages. How could something that happened in 1967 matter specifically on October 7th? What was exactly the grievance there that caused a brutal, savage attack on civilians on this particular day decades later? Surely, there would be a more civilized way if there were grievances and the need for liberation over the state of Israel owning this territory that supposedly belongs to Palestinians than just up and harming people, dancing and singing and enjoying themselves, not even thinking about the idea that somehow they allegedly are at fault for something. Andrew Rappaport's Rap Report is a podcast providing biblical interpretations and applications. It is a ministry of striving for eternity and part of the Christian podcast community. We provide a biblical view of cultural events, discuss how to apply God's word to the Christian life, address issues that concern the church, and we even take some time to offer a correct understanding of those commonly misinterpreted passages of scripture. You will hear from great guests like Justin Peters, Todd Friel, Jay Warren Wallace, and Gabe Hughes. Andrew has the Rap Report Daily, which is a two-minute Monday through Friday podcast, and then the longer Rap Report podcast for more content. Subscribe to both today by searching for Rap Report on any podcast app, spelled R-A-P-P, Report, or click the podcast link at strivingforeternity.org. So just what is Hamas? <laughs> well, Hamas originally came as a faction of the Palestine Liberation Organization, or PLO. So Fatah is the biggest faction in the PLO, and Fatah and Hamas are both Palestinian political parties and part of the Palestine Liberation Organization. Now, in 1987, uh, Hamas spun off from the Muslim Brotherhood. So they used to be part of the Muslim Brotherhood, but a group of people who had the same objectives created Hamas from the Muslim Brotherhood. And in 2006, Hamas won the majority of seats in the Palestinian elections. So Hamas basically, through the democratic process, somehow won the majority and then basically took over Palestine and now have, have an iron grip on it. So it's no longer as democratic as it used to be when Hamas won the democratic elections. Now, although Hamas has made temporary truces with Israel since, they refuse to commit to nonviolent negotiations. So Hamas is more extreme even than Fatah. And although Fatah and Hamas have as a goal getting rid of the nation of Israel, like they don't want the world map to have a nation of Israel there, they think that there should be no constituted nation of Israel where Jews own a parcel of land there. 
They think it belongs to Palestinians, but Hamas is even more extreme than Fatah because Fatah is willing, in their pursuit of that goal, to do some form of diplomacy at some times and to commit to nonviolence as necessary, but Hamas refuses to commit to any kind of nonviolence. Basically, it's just whatever it takes to get what we want. No life is sacred because the only sacred thing is the end goal. So, how has the rest of the world handled this conflict? Like, it seems like everyone has to pick a side. And of course, one would think that every civilized person or nation or group or faction would at least, regardless of how they understand the history of things, they would at least take the side of people who were slaughtered as civilians. But yet, after Hamas began their acts of terror, their animalistic attacks, killing men, women, and children who did them no harm, there's a protest in Australia, a video of that where you can hear people chanting, Gas the Jews! In Australia. There's either Palestinians or people who agree with Hamas chanting to gas the Jews after the news of Jews being slaughtered, civilians being slaughtered. No sympathy for civilians there. Somehow, Jews in their mind are just animals who have no right to live. Pro-Palestine protests in London, New York City, Dearborn, Michigan, and other places broke out. Somehow there seems to be a lot of support for Hamas and treating people like they're not human beings. Treating people as if they're guilty just because of who they are. Or possibly where they just happen to reside at the time as mere animals who should be slaughtered. And we see this type of thing in many nations around the world, including the good old United States of America. Black Lives Matter has made it clear that they side with Palestine, which they really mean the terrorist civilian slaughter by Hamas in the name of liberating Palestinians from the allegedly apartheid state of Israel. On Tuesday, October 10th, the Chicago chapter of BLM posted on X, uh, formerly known as Twitter, a graphic showing a silhouette of a militant paraglider with the Palestine flag and the caption, I stand with Palestine. Now think about that. These paragliders, these Hamas militants who paraglided into the Rayim Music Festival did so so they can just slaughter people. The people there who they killed weren't soldiers preparing for battle. Some of these people were tourists. And yet, that act, you're actually going to post a graphic showing a silhouette of a paraglider directly depicting these Hamas fighters who slaughtered innocent civilians as some kind of liberators? 
and say, I stand with Palestine under that. Now, either BLM Chicago is absolutely ignorant of what happened there, which would say a lot about their intelligence, but I would say that more likely they knew what happened there and they were happy about it. They think that mercilessly killing innocent civilians is somehow justice when none of those people who were killed did anything to Palestinians or Hamas. Now, naturally, the fact that this message clearly supported the inhumane slaughter of Israeli civilians and even tourists earned swift condemnation. The next day, Wednesday morning, October 11th, BLM Chicago posted the following message, quote, Yesterday, we sent out messages that we weren't proud of. We stand with Palestine and the people who will do what they must to live free. Our hearts are with the grieving mothers, those rescuing babies from rubble, who are in danger of being wiped out completely, unquote. So, in this so-called apology, do you see anything there? Even mentioning that they sorrowed with Israeli people who were slaughtered? I didn't see anything in what they said that showed any kind of sorrow. Now, they said the grieving mothers and those rescuing babies from rubble, but they said who are in danger of being wiped out completely. They're clearly just talking about Palestinians living in the Gaza Strip who were in danger of Israel's retaliation. So, the only part of the statement that you can say showed any kind of remorse was, yesterday we sent out messages that we aren't proud of. Now, I think BLM Chicago was, and still to this day are, totally proud of what they said. They just got called out on it, and so they wanted to throw a bone to people to try to demonstrate that they aren't as inhumane as they clearly seemed when nothing about what they said as an apology demonstrated any remorse for people for Israelis being harmed. They just said, we stand with Palestine and the people who will do what they must to live free. So clearly that statement shows no remorse, no repentance whatsoever for siding with Hamas terrorists, animals who slaughtered innocent civilians. Nice people, these BLM Chicago chapter people are. We also had beheaded babies reported in rubble, and this was in the kibbutz of Kfar Azah. Now, before we talk a little bit about that, another interesting encounter happened when reporter Hillary Vaughn on Wednesday, October 11th, tried to get Michigan Representative Rashida Talib, who's Palestinian herself, to comment on a simple question. So she was asking the question, do you have a comment about Hamas terrorists chopping off babies' heads? And you'd think that would be a nice, easy question for someone to just reply, of course not. She could have said, I stand for Palestine, but I'm against the brutal things that Hamas did. 
She could have said, I support the liberation of Palestine based on my understanding of history, but I condemn anyone anywhere who did what Hamas did. She could just have even said, no, I don't support people beheading babies. But she was asked over and over again, and this is what she did, if you listen to the video here. Terrorists have um, As we heard, and I'll put a link to that video posted on X in the show notes, Rashida Tlaib refused to answer a simple question. It should have been the easiest question in the world to answer for anyone who would consider herself a human being with a heart and a soul, and she refused because it's obvious that In her mind, not all human beings have equal worth. She couldn't even state. She couldn't answer a question that it's wrong to chop off babies' heads because of her politics. Did you know that Striving Fraternity provides speakers and seminars that we would come to your church and disciple your people? We have seminars on the Bible interpretation made easy creation science, evangelism, presuppositional apologetics, even on sexual abuse. These are just some of the many things that we could provide for your church. Consider inviting one of our speakers to your church. You can contact us at speaker at strivingforeternity.org. Now, let's get to the beheaded babies, because some people consider that war propaganda. Now, I recognize that in an ongoing conflict and with the technology that we have today and with the dangers of being on site in Ground Zero, that it's possible for things to become propaganda or blown out of proportion or secondhand information. Or even if it's first-hand information, there might not be direct observation. It could be uh, that someone thought they saw something, but it wasn't really that. And maybe it's not confirmed perfectly. But on site at the kibbutz of Kfarza, Nicole Zedek, reporter from I-24 News, first reported this. And so they 
kind of knew uh, an idea of, of what was happening, but but they no one could expect that it would be like this. The horrors that I'm hearing from these these soldiers, uh, as I, as I mentioned earlier, about 40 babies at least were were taken out on gurneys. Still, right now, they're going house to house, uh, still evacuating dead bodies, Nicole, killed Israeli citizens who I, I, were killed I have to cut in. It's such, a, such a shocking, jarring statement there. And just for our viewers, we're in a new hour here on the broadcast who, who very likely weren't with us last hour to understand that you've come in there to find this small community littered with the dead and slaughtered bodies of, of Israeli civilians primarily, and you're saying 40 babies, dead babies. That is what one of the commanders told me. Uh, and you continue to see just uh, cribs overturned, strollers left behind, all of these doors wide open. He said, we don't know the exact number of casualties because they're still collecting dead bodies, still going door to door because the active fighting here uh, just stopped. Now, I looked through a Snopes.com article. Now, of course, if I mention Snopes, you know, we can have plenty of opinions about Snopes. Sometimes they do things really good. Other times it's clear that they have a certain political agenda and they want to make sure to protect that. So take Snopes with a grain of salt here. But bodies of babies and children were found among those who were killed at the Kafarza Kibbutz. Now, babies and children were killed. That is an evil tragedy. Whatever happened there, babies and children were killed. We need to keep that in mind. Babies and children were slaughtered and bloody found among the rubble there. Now, whether the report of beheading was from a brief observation of appearance or if it was indeed true may not necessarily be the issue. It could also be true that babies were beheaded, but there's not enough direct forensic witness and evidence to verify the specifics of this. Or it's possible that those who saw it saw babies with heads missing and considered it beheading, but maybe they lost their heads another way. We've got to talk about these things, but I'm trying not to sound calloused or be too graphic at the same time. Now, even if Hamas thugs didn't perform a direct act or a ritual of beheading the babies, that would in no way detract from the evil and barbarism in slaughtering civilians, including children and infants. So, if the beheading of babies is itself, as a specific observation, just happened to turn out not to be true... That shouldn't change anything about what happened, about our view of what happened in the kibbutz. And of course, as this is a developing story, I'm just trying to present observations and facts, trying to claim that if the beheading account happens not to be true, that it's somehow war propaganda or that it should change your opinion of which side you support in this. That shouldn't fly at all. According to TheRap.com, it has Ms. Zedek quoted after this news came out, after she gave her observations about this, and it got scrutinized and criticized and debated and in the media. 
Uh, she said, quote, the fact that people are denying it, even after seeing exactly with your own eyes, the footage, the pictures, it's truly despicable, unquote. So at this point, I would like to give Ms. Zadek the benefit of the doubt here. And until it's proven otherwise, it seems like what she saw, she knows what she saw. So if we don't have forensic evidence, we can at least trust that what she saw looked like babies were beheaded. And as I said before, if that's not exactly what happened, it doesn't change a thing about the seriousness and the tragedy and the evil that happened there. President Biden has come under scrutiny from weeks ago before this, how in the Iran hostage swap deal, they unfreezed $6 billion of funds to Iran that was supposedly for humanitarian aid. Defenders try to say that not a penny from that goes to Hamas terrorism. But, you know, money is fungible. Even if somehow, according to the international law, they're required not to use that money for terrorism, but only for humanitarian aid, having that money available for humanitarian aid means that Hamas had then money that otherwise would have gone to humanitarian aid to then use for supporting Hamas and their terrorism. So no matter how you slice it, the $6 billion that former President Trump had uh, seen frozen and President Biden unfroze in a completely unnecessary showing of weakness in the Iran hostage swap deal didn't help things. It remains to be seen just how much that was involved in helping Hamas plan this surprise act of barbarism. And now, of course, as of this recording, the war is still ongoing. I haven't covered nearly enough information. There's so many details. It's like drinking from a fire hose. But what we know for certain is that evil happened. And those who refuse to condemn the evil of preemptively attacking civilians, I don't care what you believe about history. I don't care what your religious beliefs are. I don't care what you think liberation is. It is pure evil to kill civilians and slaughter them for whatever you think the end goal is. And yes, as I've heard about this, I have certainly been praying many imprecatory prayers. As we see in the Psalms, that David prayed imprecatory prayers against his enemies, I pray that God will use people to bring the animalistic terrorists to justice. Because under God's law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, even though before God we all stand condemned, on a civil and criminal level, those who kill people have no right to another breath and I pray that if God brings any of these terrorists to repentance, that they will recognize in their repentance that they have no right to life. 
that if they were ready to meet their maker, they would realize they don't deserve to live. They deserve a completely just and humiliating retribution. Proverbs 6.17 it mentions one of the six things that Yahweh God hates is hands that shed innocent blood. And we saw that happen on Saturday morning, October 7th. We see a description very fitting of what the barbarous Hamas people did in Isaiah 59 verses 3 through 4. It says, For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. And when you have people like Hamas who believe that it's perfectly okay to kill, to lie, to steal, to plunder, to use civilians as shields, to put them in harm's way, to have zero regard for any kind of human life that absolutely anything goes as long as it forwards an agenda of reclaiming land that they think that they're owed. You cannot find the slightest bit of support in Scripture for that kind of disgusting atrocity. On this issue, I will certainly stand with Israel, even as President Biden has uttered, regardless of what he may or may not believe about the situation. Now, do I think the United States should, as Representative Lindsey Graham said, and threaten Iran's oil or nuclear facilities? Am I ready for World War III? No, I think that better ways can happen. I believe that Israel, as a nation, has absolutely the right to punish those who committed these acts. And so, as politicians in the United States have tried to act like they can pull the strings of Israel, I say, get out of the way, let Israel do what Israel needs to do. I am personally tired of the United States trying to control Israel. Let them do what they need to do. Punish the evil terrorists. Get out of the way. Don't try to start World War III in the process. Assist with intelligence if you have to, but don't be so quick to jump into a large-scale world war. And I ask everyone who is a listener of Truthspresso to heed Psalm 122 verse 6 and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Pray for God's justice. Pray that as few casualties will happen. Pray that there will be a proper and just peace that will happen. But that can only happen when those who commit atrocities are brought to justice. That as much effort as possible will do that. will trying as hard as possible to avoid civilian casualties. And that the retribution will be as swift as and as efficient as possible to prevent this stuff from happening again.
Pray that God will give those on the side of justice wisdom to do the right thing. Shalom.